1: what's going on you guys welcome back to the neighborhood podcast one of the hosts of the podcast my name is kyle dabra
0: what's going on everybody kevin valentine here on the half of the podcast kyle welcome back
1: yes sir just got back from vacation to texas but i'll tell you this kev ready to get back to it ready to get back into these topics got a couple to go over today are you ready to dive into this oh yeah let's get it popping all right so we'll start in the nfl we got a pretty solid story to go over, and that's going to involve the Buccaneers with Bruce Arians stepping down from his head coaching position. Todd Bowles will replace him moving forward, and we'll just talk about the impact of that coaching change for the Buccaneers going into next season. After that, we'll kick it to the NBA. We'll talk about the Mavs and really the frenetic pace that they've been on the second half of the season. They've been on an absolute tear the last couple of months of the season. And they are threatening to, to take the number three seed away from the Golden State Warriors if some things were to happen in their favor. After that, we'll talk about the Lakers. The Lakers just came off of a game against the Mavs just a couple of days ago where they got absolutely destroyed in Dallas. And we'll talk about whether or not that the Lakers should shut down Anthony Davis and LeBron James. since they are barely hanging on to a playing tournament situation going into the last week and a half of the season. After that, we'll talk about the Eastern Conference and really the logjam that you see at the top four positions. Currently, the Heat are the number one seed, but if you look at the Boston Celtics, who are in the four seed, they're only two, two and a half games back of the Heat with a week and a half to go in the season. And we'll just talk about the race for the number one seed and where it's going to end up once the regular season comes to an end. And then after that, we'll kick it to the NCAA to wrap up the episode. We'll talk about the Final four matchup between Duke and UNC. We got a classic matchup in the final four. This could potentially be Coach K's last game, but knowing him and knowing what happened in the last regular season game against UNC, I imagine he's looking at this as a revenge game, but UNC is looking at this situation where they could be the number eight seed and potentially go all the way to the NCAA final when it's all said and done. So all in all, got a great episode for you guys. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into it and let's talk about this Bruce Arians situation in Tampa. Kevin, I'll let you take the floor.
0: So obviously, with this news breaking, I want to say less than three or four hours ago, this kind of took us all for a shock. And and by all, I want to say myself because Kyle and I were talking about it before the episode, and he actually saw this coming. So Kyle, with this kind of uh, not coming to a shock for you and with the rumors that were reported earlier on this past season that Bruce Arians was kind of neglecting Tom and Byron Leftwich play calling uh how do you feel about Bruce Arians stepping down and uh Tom Bowles stepping right in
1: I'm not really surprised by it um just because there definitely seemed to be some tension between Tom Brady some of the coaching members on the offensive side of the ball and Bruce Arians so I remember this a couple months ago when whenever Bruce Arians was dealing with this Achilles injury that he had been dealing with for at least half of the season, it gave Tom Brady and Byron Lefwich an opportunity to essentially set up the offensive playbook for opposing teams. And when you look at the situation that occurred, it was reported that Bruce Arians supposedly really like X'd out or marked out a bunch of the play calls or a lot of the playbook going into some of their games that Tom Brady and Byron Lefwich had set up. That was what it was reported to happen. Now, whether it happened or not, it's not been confirmed by Bruce Arians or any of the Buck staff, and honestly, they wouldn't even probably confirm those reports to begin with, but it definitely seemed like there was some tension between Brady and Arians throughout the season, no matter what they were saying publicly during press conferences throughout the season. And it doesn't really shock me that they went with Todd Bowles in this situation. I think you could have made a case that maybe Byron Lefwich could have been the head coach had they were if they were going to make an internal change at that position. But, I mean, when you look at Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians is getting up there in age. He is 70 years old, and he will revert to a front office position the foreseeable future with the Bucks, and now it gives Todd Bowles an opportunity at a second crack at being a head coach didn't necessarily work out it with the Jets the first time around when he was a head coach but this will probably be his best coaching uh, opportunity simply just because you have Tom Brady at the quarterback position when you look back when he was playing when he was coaching with the Jets didn't necessarily have the best quarterbacks to roll with during his tenure there but I mean, the impact that it's going to bring on Tampa next year, I think is going to be minimal. I think it's just a lot of noise right now because, well, let's be honest. There's not really a lot going on when it comes to free agent news in the NFL this current moment in time. So this is definitely something that will definitely bring some headlines up throughout the weekend. But as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to Bruce Arians essentially stepping down from his head coaching spot, it doesn't really surprise me just because it seemed like there was some tension that was building between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady throughout the season. And I think it just got to a point where maybe the relationship just had to end at what it was. And this is kind of how they're going to go about it. So, you know, I I imagine the Bucks are going to try to run a a PR run to try to, I guess, soften the blow to when these reports were coming out that Bruce Arians was going to step down. But to me, I don't really find it that shocking I will say this, you know, Tom Brady's going to get what he wants. And if this is what he wanted, you know, for Bruce Arians to set it aside and allow T- Todd Bowles to be the head coach for the bucks next season. Seemed like he, he got the, uh, the win when it's all said and done in, in this scenario. But I think as far as the impact that it's going to have on the Buccaneers next year, I think it's going to be minimal. So all in all it's a, it's a pretty shocking story because like, listen, Tom Brady's in the fold. Bruce Arians is a super bowl winning coach. But I think when you factor in the, I think the relationship strain between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, I don't really find it all surprising that the Bucks made this move. That's just how I see it.
0: Well, we all know that you know, BA has a very uh, alpha type mentality. He is going to be the head honcho. He's going to be the decision maker, the play caller. You know, there's a bunch of different things that you know Bruce just kind of carries on with his reputation. So I'm not necessarily surprised as well. Uh, now that you have broken it down in a way that I'm not. Kind of like comprehending just because again, like initially I was just like, wait a minute, what? Like, Tom just came back. Why would you want to step down? Like, you guys have pretty much the entire band back together and you know, you guys have an opportunity to run it back and you know, you go into a front office role. But if those reports happen to be true where they were having some issues and discrepancies on types of plays and the playbook with Byron Leftwich, um, then I mean, I guess it's kind of just necessary. I guess I feel like at this point it's just a matter of can Todd coach Tom? Um, can Todd Bowles lead this team? And you know, we all know that Todd Bowles' previous experience did not go very well his last head coaching go around. But it was the New York Jets, and that seems like an impossible job. So kudos to Robert Sala for trying to rebuild that franchise currently. So um, I mean, I guess we're just gonna have I excuse me. I guess we are just going to have to see what happens because we all know that Tom Brady makes a team better automatically by just being on the roster, and now maybe this. Head coaching change will put a little bit more emphasis on focusing on this defense will kind of get them back into that Super Bowl contending defense where they were rushing the quarterback very well. And uh, maybe Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady can run the offense the way that they wanted to for the past two seasons. So who's to say that they weren't they weren't limited with Bruce Arians kind of in the way? And who's to say that, you know, Byron Leftwich won't be able to show off a little bit more of that offensive brilliance? I am a little surprised that Byron didn't get the head coaching job just because he was such a high-praised and targeted candidate this past offseason and chose to stay in Tampa. But it is what it is. At the end of the day, good for Bulls getting another opportunity. Uh, we all know that her defensive mind is one of the very best in the league, and he does have the head coaching experience. So I guess that's why he got the nod. But overall, kudos to Tampa for getting something done. And, I mean, B.A. going to the front office, I mean, congratulations on your promotion. I don't know.
1: I, I wouldn't really call it a promotion. I think it's more like you're getting relegated to the spot. Just because, no matter what PR run that the Bucks are going to run on this, they're going to try to soften the blow. Because, like, when you look at this kind of like from a bigger perspective, it seems kind of abrasive. Because it seems like it's coming out of nowhere, and I think it it really kind of underpins essentially. I think some of the relationship strains that we've seen throughout the last season between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians now. When it comes to what was reported about the the playbook issues, as far as Bruce Arians essentially xing out like multiple parts of essentially like the playbook going into a game that Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich had devised. Now, if that happens to be true, and that's what was reported, that was like somewhat of a, a I guess, a point of friction between uh, Brady and Arians. I can understand, like, you know, Tom, you know, feeling some type of way about that. And not just Tom, but Byron Leftwich. I mean, if they're putting in a lot of time into the playbook going into each and every week while BA is recovering from his Achilles injury, it seems a little bit dismissive and just like completely, I, I don't want to say disrespectful, but it's like, I don't know why, like, BA would kind of like go out of his way to basically just tear apart what those guys had as far as just, just assembling some sort of a playbook to work with. You know, BA is the head coach. You know, and BA kind of gets the last say on it. So, I guess this just kind of it is what it is. But, you know, I I think as far as the impact that it has, like it's like I said, I don't think it's going to be that big of an impact for the Bucs going into next season. Just because I think, by and large, I think they'll be fine. I think they're still going to be able to maintain a supremacy in the NFC South. I think they have a very good chance to end up with the top three seed in the NFC next season. And as long as Tom is playing at a top-tier level next year, like he has been the first two years with Tampa, I don't really see anything changing for them unless Brady takes a massive drop-off, the defense takes a significant step backwards, or just overall, just like the team can't click as far as just their chemistry goes. I don't really see that happening, but I think overall, I think the Bucks are going to be fine with this. It's just that it's going to be funny to see how the Bucks front office plays this whole BA thing coming into their front office because this seems like the old man is getting pushed out of the way. That's what this. Yeah. The the
0: narrative is going to be the interesting part
1: because it's like I said, like you could look at this just from an aesthetic and it just, it just, something doesn't feel right with this. It it feels like he's getting pushed out the back door, but it's, it's, you know, it's going to be put in, you know, in a nice Way they're gonna put it like in a nice little bouquet, and they're essentially gonna say, "No, Ba's you know, granted he's not gonna be the head coach anymore, but he's still gonna be involved in, in the Bucks front office decisions, and he's gonna be a pivotal piece moving forward." That's what they'll say, but he's getting pushed to the side. That's how I kind of see it. Now, whether it's because yeah. of this relationship issue that w- was apparently going on between him and Tom, that could be something, but it seems like he's getting pushed out of the way. That's just kind of how I see it. Yeah. We'll wrap up the NFL topics uh, for the episode today. With that, we'll transition into our next segment. We get to talk a little bit about Kevin's Dallas Mavericks, who have been on an absolute tear the second half of the season. And I had the privilege to actually watch the Dallas Mavericks when I was on vacation this past weekend. I got to see them basically just run over the Lakers at home. I, I think... I think they ended up winning that game by like 20, 25 points. I think at one point they were up like 35 points. It was a runaway. Luca was cooking. Dinwiddie was cooking. It just seemed like everybody on Dallas was hitting their shots that night against the Lakers. And the Lakers had absolutely no answer for them from beginning to end in that game. Now, Kevin, when you look at the Dallas Mavericks overall, they are possibly threatening a top three seed in the Western Conference right now. And granted. As we're recording, uh, the Golden State Warriors, they're playing the Phoenix Suns. So by the time that you guys hear this, um, that decision or that game between Golden State and Phoenix will come to an end. And either Phoenix will win and Golden State will actually step back to the four seed. Or if Golden State wins, they'll still be able to maintain that three seed for the time being. But Kevin, I got to ask you. With the Mavericks potentially stealing the number three seed from the Golden State Warriors... What do you think it's going to have on the Western Conference playoffs when the playoffs start in April?
0: So I'm looking at it and I'm saying if it were to end today and we had the three seed, we'd have to go up against Utah. Who's currently sitting at the sixth. Um, we've split the series with Utah. If I'm not mistaken, if not, we're up one. And that's why we had the tiebreaker over them. So I think we lead three, two, whatever it is. Um, I think that Utah Provides us with a favorable matchup because I don't think that they can guard Luka. I mean, not many people can. However, our weakest attribute is rebounding the basketball and protecting the paint. So our center is Dwight Powell. Their center, obviously, when healthy is Rudy Gobert. There's not really much of a discrepancy there. We all know that, you know, on paper and in person, Rudy wins that matchup 10 out of 10 times. But in terms of overall with our depth, with the addition of Dinwiddie and, of course, um, a couple of our other role players stepping up this season, like obviously um oh my god Jalen Brunson, like Reggie Bullock. I just had like a complete fart really quick in my brain. Uh I, I like where we are defensively. We're a top five team offensively. We are kind of getting into a rhythm. Luka Doncic is playing at an M V P level. I mean against the Lakers in three quarters he had a thirty point triple double. I think thirty seven, twelve and twelve. Uh tonight he had thirty two, twelve and nine. So I mean He's just carrying us single-handedly. I mean, Spencer's kind of been on a little bit on a cool-down phase since he had those two-game winners back-to-back games. But still, his presence on the floor is very much noted because when Luka comes off the floor, we have someone that can not only bring the ball up, but distribute angle and score that isn't just Jalen Brunson. So I think we're in a really good position to make some noise in the playoffs. Um, Bias aside, I think that we could be a dark horse to come out of the Western Conference, depending on how well we play. I do know that that is a bold statement, but we have beaten the top four seeds, excluding ourselves. Um, Relatively simple this season. I mean, aside from the Suns, who beat us almost every single matchup, we've been able to combat the Grizzlies, even with John Moret, injured and healthy. We've been able to beat Golden State, the majority of our matchups. We've been able to beat Denver. We've beaten Utah. Uh, I mean, I know Minnesota gave us a little bit of a whooping a couple of weeks back, but Overall, I don't see a team that we can't necessarily beat unless it comes down to us at Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals. But the way that Luca's playing, the way that the team is rallying around, the way that we are getting after it on the defensive end, I would not be surprised if we make a 2011 type of run to where it's kind of one focalized player leading the way, like Luca would be relevant to Dirk in a way, but in also a different way. So... Uh, yeah, no, the Mavericks are playing great. I can't complain. Obviously, normally I'm kind of one of those people that is a little bit more on the realistic side, or should I say, in Kyle's sense, the negative side. But I like the way we're playing basketball lately. I'm finally happy the way that we're kind of settling. And going into the postseason, we're catching fire at the right time.
1: I think to kind of uh, pinpoint the way you were trying to say, I think you try to take a more like a rational approach when it comes to the Mavericks, simply just because I think you're of the mindset that like the Mavs are having a great stretch the second half of the season. I mean, they have one of the better records as far as really from the all-star break on up to now, they, they've they been phenomenal. And I mean, the last 10 games, they're seven and three. And I had the pleasure of them absolutely beating the brakes off the Lakers. Granted, I'm a Lakers fan and it was just nasty watching the Mavs just going out and giving it to the Lakers from the first quarter all the way to the fourth quarter. Now, with that said, when it comes to the Mavericks and just the impact that they could have on this year's playoffs in the Western Conference, I think that they could potentially be a dark horse this year. And here's why. I think everybody knows that Phoenix is clearly the best team in the Western Conference and the NBA. And the Grizzlies are not too far behind. But the one thing that, that I like about the Mavericks this year is that they've been kind of flying under the radar pretty much the entire year up until about right now. And just because when you look at the national media coverage that we've seen with the Mavericks, it's mostly been pinpointed around Luka Doncic, who is clearly having an MVP caliber season this year. He's at the top of the scores as far as the top scores in the NBA. He's right alongside the guys like LeBron James, Joel Embiid, Giannis, and Nikola Jokic. I mean, all those guys can score. But when I watched Luka play the other day against the Lakers, the one thing that I just appreciate about his game is that even though he doesn't necessarily carry super athletic traits, somebody like John Morant does where he could just attack the rim and he could just use his speed to his advantage, Luka's step back, there's not a lot of answers for that. And when he's able to get just the littlest separation from his defender there's a very good chance that he's going to be able to knock it down behind the three-point line and the guy's been absolutely killing it pretty much the entire second half of the season and not only that I really think that the addition of Spencer Dinwiddie has been phenomenal he's been a great role player ever since he showed up with Dallas he knocked down two back-to-back buzzer beaters just a couple of weeks ago in dramatic fashion. And he adds just that nice veteran piece to come off the bench for Dallas and really solidify a a great rotation. Because, I mean, when you look at the the starting five that the Dallas Mavericks had, I mean, all the focus is going to be around Luka. But whenever Dwight Powell gets involved with the pick and roll that he's with with Luka, that's actually a pretty solid combo if they're able to just link up on those lob passes on the pick and roll. You have Dorian Finney-Smith. You have a boatload of other players that you could use to your advantage just to space the floor. Because whenever Luca has the ball, the space is going to be open for guys to knock down shots. I mean, one guy that you mentioned, Jalen Brunson. I I like Brunson. Brunson is a solid player. Is he a superstar? No, but he's a solid. <coughs> excuse me. He's a solid piece for what the Mavericks need on the offensive side of the ball. And just as of late. They've all been clicking. Now, as far as what do I think their playoff aspirations are going to be, I think their ceiling this year could potentially be the Western Conference Finals, but no more after that. I think if they were to get there, it would be a shock to me just because I think Phoenix is a better team than Dallas. I think that the Grizzlies are a better team than Dallas. But overall, Dallas is not a team to be slept on. They could easily get into the second round and they could probably bring some havoc to whoever they're going to face in the second round. But overall, this team is making the strides that it needs to. They're still a relatively young team, but they're kind of rounding into form. And really the only thing that they're going to need moving forward is just kind of more playoff experience down the stretch. I think this year, like I said, I think best case scenario is they make the Western conference finals and they get bounced out but i think the more realistic approach for them this year they'll make the second round i think they'll have a hard fought battle in the second round i think that's where they get bounced out but this team kevin i, I know that you're a team and i and, and i don't want to be i don't want to ride dallas too hard here but this is a team that i don't think people can sleep on moving forward this team is legit granted i did just see them just whoop the lakers ass the other day and that may be playing a factor into why I'm kind of giving Dallas a little bit more shine here. But overall, I think this team is on the verge. I don't think it's this year. I think it'll be next year. That's just how I see it.
0: Hey, I'm not going to sit here and, and you know bash your opinion. I mean, for once, you know I'm getting some credit on one of my teams, you feel me? So I'm not going to lick a gift horse in the mouth. But uh, overall, I am happy with the performance, like I said, and I'm just excited to see the postseason right around the corner. I mean, guys, I'm not even exaggerating. For whatever reason, in my mind, I swore the playoffs were like another three, four weeks away. And Kyle's like, bro, there's like five, six games left. And I was like, Kyle can attest to this. I was like in awe. And I was like, no way. He goes, dude, they start April 11th. And I was just like.
1: Well, that's when the season ends. Yeah, the season ends April 11th. And I think the play-in is probably like a day or two after it.
0: I just, I I can't believe the basketball playoffs are like legitimately
1: less than two weeks away. It's just insane. I know. And I know you're excited about it. You have have a team that you could actually get excited about, but my team, mm -mm. and that's the next topic of our conversation. Perfect segue. I know, right? But I'll let you have the floor on this one since it's my team. So basically,
0: as Kyle has already alluded to, the Lakers have underperformed this season. Anthony Davis has been out in and out of the lineup with injuries. LeBron James has been sitting a couple of days as well. So we are looking at this saying the Lakers have a total of what? How many games left? Five?
1: It's like five or six.
0: So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well then, at this point, why even play? No, they have seven games left. It's they a, have uh, the Jazz go. tomorrow. Jazz tomorrow, Pelicans, Nuggets, Suns, Warriors, Thunder, Nuggets. All of those Seem to be relatively difficult outside of maybe two, but the Pelicans have been playing very well lately, so I can't even say that anymore. The Thunder would probably be the easiest game. All of these teams are looking to improve their playoff seating outside of Phoenix, who has already clinched home field advantage throughout the entire postseason. So, Kyle, I'm going to ask you, and I'm only going to ask you because logically it makes the most sense should the Lakers rest Anthony Davis and LeBron James for the remainder of this season?
1: Kevin, yeah, I think it's a little premature to say that. And I've been fighting this one because there's a part of me that just says, yes, just sideline them for the rest of the year and just kind of give this season away because it's just not going to happen. But I think it's going to be dependent on this game against the jazz because I think LeBron is going to play in this game. And I think, This is going to be the game where it tells me that they're just going to go for that last play-in seed or potentially to get the nine seed and then kind of see where it goes from there. But Kevin, I have no faith in this team. And granted, I'm a Lakers fan. I've been a Lakers fan my entire life. And this has been one of the most frustrating seasons I've ever witnessed as a Lakers fan. Simply just because, first of all, this roster, I've said it time and time again, is old. There's just no other way to say it. All of these guys, by and large, are either at the tail end of their primes or they're at the tail end of their careers. LeBron James is 38 years old. Carmelo Anthony is on his last leg. Russell Westbrook sometimes can barely hit the backboard on some of his jump shots. Anthony Davis can't stay healthy. Even though he's relatively young still, he's just so brittle that you can't rely on him being a focal piece for this team. I just saw the Lakers get absolutely annihilated by the Mavericks the other day. I saw it in person. And granted, I know LeBron and Anthony Davis, they didn't play in that game. They're both suffering, or they're both recovering from injuries. But the team really didn't show me that they can even really compete with decent teams in the Western Conference. I mean, even in the game where LeBron turned his ankle against the Pelicans. I mean, he scored 38 points, but they gave up a 20 to 25 point lead in that game on the road to the Pelicans. You just can't have that, especially if you're trying to get just better positioning for this playing tournament. You can't lose these 20 point leads at the end of March. There's just not a lot of time left to work with because the end of the season for them is April 10th. And when you look at their schedule, they have to play the Jazz. They got to play the Pelicans again. They play the Nuggets twice. The Suns, the Warriors, and the Thunder. There's probably only one game that I can look at and say, they'll win. And that's against the Thunder, which is the second to the last game of the season for them. But the game's against the Nuggets, the game against the Warriors, the Suns, the Jazz. If they win these games, they're going to win them by the skin of their teeth. More than likely, they're going to probably lose half of these games. And they have to pray that the Pelicans don't get in or they falter in the last couple games that they have and that the Lakers kind of find their way into this 10th seed to see if they can get into the playoffs from there. Overall, I have no confidence that they're going to be able to do this simply just because I can't rely on LeBron to stay healthy because he's still recovering from that ankle injury. I don't know what's going to happen with AD. I can't trust Russell Westbrook anyway whatsoever. The only players that I can trust are Malik Monk and maybe Austin Reeves. They just don't get the burn that they should on this roster because the entire roster is basically built around around LeBron James. And when he's not playing, this team is basically one step ahead of being a G League team. So I think it really comes down to this game against the Jazz. If they lose this game against the Jazz and they get absolutely annihilated, I think they're just going to pack it in. And I think if the Lakers really start faltering here, trust me when I say this, the Lakers should start actively looking to trade both LeBron James and Anthony Davis, because I think it has gotten to the point where I think organizations, they get tired of LeBron within the first four years of him being there. And I think we're reaching that point now where it just seems like this team is depleted at every single level. And this is what happens when you essentially build rented teams around LeBron James, you'll take these players on one-year contracts, try to build up the rosters as best as you can. But just the chemistry isn't there. The injuries have just been plaguing the Lakers the entire year. And when you have all these old guys on the roster, it's a recipe for it's a recipe for disaster. On paper, they look great. But I've said this before. If this was a team from 2012, this team would be unstoppable. But it's 2022, and most of these guys are at the end of their careers. It hasn't worked this year. For God's sakes, they are 13 to 14 games under five hundred. I don't even know why we're really kind of giving them the time of day anymore. And I'm, I don't even know why they were on national television the other day against the Mavericks because, to me, TNT just wasted a bunch of money knowing that the Mavericks were just going to run roughshod over a Lakers team that didn't have either AD or LeBron James. So when it comes to the Lakers they're scrubs as far as I'm concerned. I I know LeBron's still going out there and he's doing what he can, but it's like overall, he's just one guy and he's not going to be able to carry this roster to any sort of playoff relevance this season. It's not going to happen. I don't really care what happens the last week of the year for the Lakers. If they make the playoffs by some miracle, fine. They're going to get waxed in the first round. I don't care what anybody says because this team is not built for the playoffs. They just can't, Stay healthy and this roster is just too undependable. It's too undependable because of their age. So that's just kind of how I see it with the Lakers. It's, they're just they're just scrubs. There's no other way to say it.
0: I mean, I, I typically when I have segments on my own team, you usually, you know, don't really have much to say because I destroy them myself. So for once it feels kind of nice. You've said like every single point that I possibly could. Um I'm not gonna say it's too premature though. Uh, I think you have a player that is signed on to this team for another year or two. You have Anthony Davis, who's locked in for another couple of years as well. Obviously, I don't necessarily know how trading LeBron James would go, so I'm not going to go in as far and say, you know, they've got to find a way to get them off the roster. Rumors have been circulating that, you know, with Bronny James getting older and him approaching that point where he's got to make a decision, NBA, college, overseas whatever and he wants to play his final year with his son so i mean there's a, there's a million storylines that people are creating with different narratives and that's neither here nor there now what i'm trying to say is when it comes to the end of the year your schedule not looking favorable you guys are on the outside looking in granted san antonio just lost a few moments ago to the golden state Warrior. no to the oh my god we just watched it literally as it happened the highlight you sent me, who did, who did they just miss that
1: layup to? I don't really remember. I don't really care either. The the, the Spurs
0: lost and they, there was a layup away from winning the game and the Spurs are tied or were tied with the Lakers for the 11th seed. And now with San Antonio losing that puts the Lakers back in the playing tournament with the 10th seed with six games left with the opponents that they have lined up. In my personal opinion, Bronzman nursing ankle injuries all year. There's no reason to bring AD back just to get waxed in the play-in. I just, whether it looks like you're giving up or not, whether it looks weak or not, I mean, you, there's no reason to continue to risk the health of players that are, that are not going to make a difference come play-in tournament. It's a one-game play-in and you're out. And even if that's the case, you have Phoenix waiting on the other side. Like, Is that something you really want to handle right now? Personally, if you're the Lakers, probably not. It's extra mileage on LeBron James. It's extra mileage on AD. God forbid something worse happens to one of them, which is always possible because it's the NBA. But I just think business decision-wise, it is the smartest thing to do to preserve your two best players for next year so that if you do trade some of them or one of them, at that point, at least you know they're in the, they're, they're healthy going into the offseason as opposed to risking another injury coming out of the, uh, the potential play-in tournament if they were to even get in, which, again, I don't necessarily think it's possible with the Lakers' remaining schedule.
1: Well, it's just, at this point, when you're looking at the Lakers' organization, their front office specifically, I think the writing's on the wall here. Just because they know that LeBron's getting to the end here. And granted, I know LeBron's been playing at a pretty solid level, for the last couple months leads the league in scoring, bro. What do I, I, you mean pretty decent. I know. But the, but the reason why I say that is because it's not really resulting in wins. Right. That I know. I know it's LeBron. Like LeBron's phenomenal. I, like I already acknowledge that, but the thing is it's not translating into wins because just the pieces around them, it's just not enough. I mean, to me, when I look at this season in particular, I have to put a lot of the responsibility, I have to put some blame on LeBron's shoulders. He wanted Russell Westbrook here. He went out of his way to bring him into the fold with the Lakers this season. And Russell has looked horrible. Horrible at times. There's been some times where he's had some flashes of of solid play here and there. But by and large, it's been frustrating to watch Russell this entire season. And really the Lakers as a whole, it's been tough to watch. And the the thing that I find most comical about the the situation regarding LeBron is that here's how I see it. The media is going to run. I'm talking about the sports media in in particular. They will run cover for LeBron simply just because LeBron's been great for what? Almost 20 years at this point now. And they're going to basically say, if you're going to get rid of this guy, why would you? Because you're just going to be irrelevant anyway. Well, with LeBron on the roster, they are the 10th, possibly the 11th seed in the Western Conference. And they are almost 15 games under 500. I mean, even if LeBron weren't on this team, I mean, they would still be a bad team. It's just, when I look at this team, LeBron's giving it everything he's got. It's just it's just not enough. This isn't a situation like where he was playing in Cleveland a couple of years ago, and he could drag a pretty subpar team overall to a finals appearance. And this is not the Eastern Conference. This is the Western Conference. The Western Conference is far more competitive. Everybody knows this. It's just at a certain point, if you see LeBron is playing this well, I think that front office has to look at trade offers simply just because if he plays next year and, God forbid, gets hurt, I mean, it's a missed opportunity at that point. And I think that there would be some teams that would literally bend over backwards to get LeBron James on their roster. It'd be, it'd be wild. It'd be wild to see if LeBron actually got traded. But I think if you're looking at this from the Lakers organization, if you look at their future, their future looks incredibly bleak. Because once LeBron's contract runs out next year, there's no guarantee that he's going to come back anyway. I think it might be best for them to move on and start a complete rebuild. And honestly, might as well trade AD as well. Because, Kevin, I'm done with AD, bro. I can't... I know the guy can play. I know he can. But he just cannot stay healthy. And I can't rely on somebody who just isn't going to be there Because he's dealing with some sort of injury, I think it's time for the Lakers to do a complete reboot. You got to start over, and you just got to build for the future. And really, if that's what you want to, if that's what needs to be done, start it now, get it over with, and hopefully you can build something positive for the future. Because even with LeBron, they may barely crack the play-in tournament. It just doesn't seem. Like, this is going to end well for the Lakers one way or another. Because even if they do make the play-in tournament, they're going to get waxed in the first round. It's not even going to be competitive. And I know I'm definitely sounding more pessimistic in my tone when it comes to the Lakers, but that's what they've given me this year. I've had no faith in this team whatsoever. And when I actually physically saw them on the court in Dallas the other day, they got waxed. They got waxed by a younger team. They got waxed by a team that's more hungry. And they got waxed by a team that is looking to make moves to possibly crack the top three in the Western Conference with the Dallas Mavericks. The Lakers are lucky just to scrape by into the play-in tournament. I mean, for God's sakes, they couldn't even hold a 25-point lead against the Pelicans the other day. We're talking about the Pelicans. We're talking about, this is where the Lakers sent freaking Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, and Brandon Ingram. To get AD. Now, granted the Lakers did get a title out of it, but it's like, you can't even beat the team that you sent all that trade, all the trade capital to. I've, I've, I've had enough with this team, bro. To me, it, it's time to reset it. It's time to reset this team and start rebuilding for the future. Because even if they were to keep LeBron next year, it's probably done with, they're probably going to be done with them after next year. Anyway. so, I don't see this working out. I I, I really don't. I, I've had enough with this, and I think it's time. I think it's time to move on, and that means moving LeBron James and AD as well. And I know that's, oh, it's it's such a hot take, but I think at this point, I think it's time. I really do.
0: I I hey, I don't blame you, bro. I'm not going to sit here and, and say that you know you don't know your team best, but if that's how you feel, I, I genuinely could not agree more, especially because you're only going to get value for players while they're on the roster in terms of a trade. If you just let them walk in free agency, you don't get anything for them. So we'll end up seeing what happens in in Los Angeles. Obviously, we still have a couple of games left. The Lakers find a way to turn it around and actually play the two of their best players if they're available. Uh, Who's to say they can't do it? I don't know, but it is what it is. But we do have kind of an opposite thing going around here in the Eastern Conference where Mm -hmm. we have – Four teams, basically within two games of each other for the number one seed. Yep. And that is obviously the Miami Heat, the Milwaukee Bucks, the 76ers, 76ers, and of course we have the um, Celtics. Boston Celtics. So we're looking at this and we're saying, first and foremost, Boston has turned it around from being the 11th seed in January to competing for a top seed in the Eastern Conference within just a two-month span. The Miami Heat have been on the Eastern Conference crown right now for the last, what, month or so? And then obviously you have Philadelphia that's going back and forth with being within a couple of games of first place, falling back, and then Milwaukee's just been at the top of the barrel since the beginning of the year. So, Kyle, it's, it's, it's getting a little interesting. I mean, I don't really know how to kind of phrase this.
1: you want me to phrase it for you?
0: I mean, yeah, I'd appreciate it. I'm kind of slow right now because I'm like half
1: unconscious. Oh, don't worry, bro. I I got you, bro. Tap me in. I'm I'm ready to go. But um, take, it, take the reins, bro. Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Eastern Conference being so competitive in the top four spots, with the Heat being the number one seed, with the Bucks at the two seed, the Seventy Sixers at the three seed, and the Celtics at the four seed, with the Celtics only being two games back. Just how do you see? this Eastern Conference shaking out, who do you think is going to get the number one seed in the East when it's all said and done by the end of the regular season?
0: I mean, I'm just going to be flat out honest. Kyle and I went over the four teams' remaining schedule over the last week and a half. And the favorable ones are going to probably be Philadelphia and Miami just based off of strength of schedule. And I'm leaning more towards Philly just because they have the easiest schedule. But in terms of actually making a decision... I'm going Milwaukee, man. Milwaukee's got a tough schedule, but we have Giannis Antetokounmpo, the defending champs, coming back and saying we are this close from sealing home court advantage and everything in the Eastern Conference running through Milwaukee. So I'm just going to come out and say I think Milwaukee finds a way somehow, some way to squeak and take that number one seed from Miami. And they go on and they – they go and try to make this repeat, man. It's going to be real interesting come postseason time, but with everything going on in the Eastern Conference right now, and it being probably the tightest race I've ever seen this close within a four-seeded spot, I mean, you know, you can make the argument there have been seasons where it's like, yo, the first and second seed are like neck and neck all year. or The first three seeds are kind of like they've just been going nuts. Dude, four teams are this close to basically being the number one team in the entire Eastern Conference, and there's still a week and a half left. Like, that's just nuts to me. Like you look at this and you say, "Holy shit!" You have the Miami Heat sitting at forty-eight and twenty-eight, the Bucks forty-seven and twenty-eight, the Celtics are actually the three seed as of right now at forty-seven and twenty-nine, and then Philly at forty-six and twenty-nine. That's just nuts. And granted, the Heat have been on a recent skid as of late. They're four and six in their last ten recently, so it's. You know they're not playing their best basketball, and that's another reason why I think that Milwaukee can find a way to just take that top spot. But again, strength of schedule would we'll say otherwise. But, uh, dude, the Eastern Conference has, is is no longer what it used to be. It's not the laughing stock. It's not you know a sub five hundred team making the eighth seed. Everybody here is a couple of games over five hundred, and I'm I'm actually excited to see what happens in the Eastern Conference. You have a lot of teams that haven't been in the playoffs in some time. Obviously, you got the Bulls, you got the Cavs. The Raptors have been a little bit irrelevant. The Hornets have kind of just been sitting there on the cusp back and forth. So we will see what happens. But I am so hyped to see what happens in the final week for the Eastern Conference, man.
1: Well, and that's the thing when I look at the Eastern Conference. It's been so competitive this year. I think it's been quite refreshing just because when LeBron was essentially owning that conference for like the last decade or so, the East was largely irrelevant. And you can no longer say that anymore just because when you look at the, the top four teams with them only separated by two games at the most with the Celtics sitting at the four seed. I mean, if one of these teams I go up, they're at, they're at the four seed, actually. Boston has a slightly lower winning percentage than the 76ers at this current moment in time. Even though that the Celtics have more wins. It's just the it's the winning percentage that's the difference making. Gotcha. It's like, dude, it's like, three hundredths of a percent like that's the difference between the Celtics and the 76ers like that that's uh, what we're talking about like it it just kind of highlights how close team. yeah I mean when, when I look at the, the east though if I had to guess a team that's gonna be the number one seed when it's all said and done I'm gonna say Miami here's why I think when it comes to Miami the, the one thing that's been noticeable about this team is that when you look at Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler is is clearly the leader of the team. But the role players that they have at their disposal have been great this season. Even though the Kyle Lowry, for example, is getting up there in age, whenever he's been inserted into the lineup, he's been effective. And I mean, the Heat got a huge win over the Boston Celtics on the road on Thursday, which was huge. It was something that excuse me, it was uh Wednesday, not Thursday. That, that these are the wins that you're going to need down the stretch, especially when you get not only towards the end of the regular season, but going into the playoffs. If you can be able to establish good road chemistry and good road performances when you go into the playoffs. That's something that you could work with. And on top of that, you look at guys like Tyler Hero, who's probably going to be one of the top finalists for six Man of the year. You have to respect Tyler Hero's game as a jump shooter. He can go out on the court and knock down five, six threes a game, and could put up 25 and 30 points off the bench very easily. He's somebody that could do that. You look at somebody like Max Struess. Max Struess, somebody that I don't think gets a lot of shine outside of maybe people that follow the heat. But this dude, Max Struess, can hit those three-point jump shots and hit them consistently. And he can get you a quick 10, 15 points off the bench. And then you look at the, the rest of the starting roster, you look at guys like Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo can knock down mid-range jump shots. He's an absolute killer down low. And he provides a great defensive presence as well. So, I mean, as far as their unit goes, they're a solid unit from top to bottom. And I think when it comes to this, this race for the number one seed, they're in the driver's seat at this current moment in time. Simply just because when you look at the other teams, like with the Bucks with the 76ers, with the Celtics. All these teams, respectively, have a difficult road to possibly get to that number one seed simply just because of the strength of schedule that all these teams have these last couple games of the year. Because Kevin and I have gone over this as far as who these teams have to go up against. The Heat have a somewhat favorable schedule because when you look at the Heat, for example, the Heat have to play the Bulls, the Raptors, the Hornets, the Hawks, and the Magic. Now, some of those teams are vying for playoff spots. But I think that those are some favorable matchups for the Heat to take advantage of. Then when you look at some other teams, like I mentioned, with the Bucks, for example. Look at the Bucks. The Bucs have to play the Nets, Clippers, Mavericks, the Bulls, the Celtics, the Pistons, and then the Cavs. These are not easy teams to go up against, especially those first four to five games because there's a very good chance that the Bucs could lose to the Nets, the Clippers, and the Mavs. The Bucs are a good team, but those are going to be some competitive games for Milwaukee to win. You look at the 76ers. The 76ers, they're currently two games behind the heat for the number one seed. They have to play the Pistons, the Hornets, the Cavs, the Pacers twice, the Raptors, and then the Pistons again to finish out the year. That is, I think, where Kevin's getting his point, saying that the 76ers have a, a pretty good shot, even though I don't think it's going to happen. I know that he may be siding with the Bucks in this case, but the 76ers could definitely have an outside shot if they get on a win streak here. And then when you look at the Celtics, they're two games behind, similar to the 76ers. They got to play the Pacers, Wizards, the Bulls, the Bucks, and the Grizzlies. I just think the strength of schedule there is too much for, for Boston to overcome. And I, I don't see them getting the number one seed when it's all said and done. I think Kevin's right, though. I think it comes down to either the Heat or the Bucks when it's all said and done. Simply just because I think the 76ers ha- have too much ground to make up with just a couple games left. And I do think that Giannis could find a way to carry that team to the number one seed if the Heat falter a little bit. But I think as far as I see it, I think the Heat are going to win these games that they have for the rest of the season. I don't know how many they're going to win. I, I think they, they could win probably maybe two thirds of the games they have left to finish out the year. But I think when it's all said and done, I think the Heat gets the number one seed in the Eastern Conference.
0: Dude, it's 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 coming down to the to the literal wire. It's neck and neck all the way through. And, I mean, all these teams can compete. And we all know they're going to make the playoffs no matter what. But, mm-hmm. you know. We all know that home field advantage, home court advantage can make or break a team come down to the postseason. So, you know, for those of you saying it doesn't matter, they're all going to technically get home field advantage or home court advantage for the first round because they're the top four seeds. First round is something you normally don't really worry about in terms of home field because you did better than the, you know, the rest of the latter half of your conference. It's when you get into that second round and third round for the the conference finals that you're like, well, shit, the format does you know, favor me because I, I, I get more home games. But it is what it is. People are going to always make an argument and discrepancy where, you know, you have to be able to win on the road, which is also valid. But, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, man, that home crowd, that hype, you go on that run, that dunk, that block, that turns the game around. That motivates you to blow people out. That that intensity drives a team to do better. So I'm, I'm always going to be a person that advocates for home court.
1: Oh, 100%. So, I mean... Here's the thing, though, with the East, and I'm going to keep this short. No matter who's the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, I don't think it's going to matter. Because when you look at the rest of the conference, I think I think really when you see it play out, I think it's going to come down to two teams. and I think it's going to either be Brooklyn or Milwaukee. Because all in all, Kevin, would you say that the Eastern Conference, despite the fact that it's competitive this year, that you would think that there'd be a team that would stand out a little bit more from the rest?
0: Yeah, because you can make the argument that every month there's been kind of like a hot team in the East. When Harden got to Philly, Philly was hot. Um, Miami had their stretch where they were Chicago, dominating. Chicago, Chicago yeah. had it early on before the All-Star break and has faltered, of course, with injury and then a Zach Levine slump and all these different things. So, yeah, it's kind of just been an up-and-down roller coaster as opposed to the West. It's been Phoenix all day.
1: Yeah, it's just, I, I can't sleep on Brooklyn just because Brooklyn, they're going to have Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant ready to go for the playoffs. It's like you said with Giannis in the fold, you know, trying to get this repeat for, for Milwaukee. I, I If the Bucks get the number one seed, you know, good on them. But if it comes to these other teams, like Heat getting the one seed, Boston or Philly, I don't think those three teams are really going to be in the mix for our finals here. I I just don't see enough from these teams that say to me, this is a finals team. Because if you were to put any of those teams, like I mentioned, Miami, Boston, and Philly, Philly might be an interesting one just because of Joel and uh, James. You throw them against a Western Conference uh, finals opponent, whether that be Phoenix, potentially Golden State, I think I think Phoenix really kind of looks like the, the number one team right now.
0: Yeah, the West. I mean, even Memphis
1: too. I think those teams can run roughshod over the Eastern Conference teams. I really do believe that. I just think that the difference in competition... There's a, there's a gap. There's, and it's quite substantial. Like to me, you know, granted, I know Phoenix has been the better team during the regular season, and that does change when it comes into the playoffs. But, I mean, just the way that the rosters are, like with Phoenix compared to to Miami, for example. I think Phoenix could potentially win a series against Miami in five games. I think if it came to Boston and and Phoenix, very similar scenario. I think that that Phoenix could win it in five, maybe six at the most. And then against Philly, I I think Philly would kind of give them a little bit of an interest. That'd be interesting to see how that one would play out. Just because I I don't know how Phoenix would necessarily handle uh, James and Joel. But, I really do think the only two teams that could give Phoenix problems are the Nets and the Bucks. I th- I think those are really the only two teams. And I know that I know it kind of sounds weird me saying, "Well, the Heat are going to win the number one seed." I'm like, "Yeah, that could be true." It doesn't mean I think that they're, they're going to go to the finals, though. I don't necessarily see that happening. I, I like Miami. I think that they're a good team, but I just don't think that they have the cachet of players to get them to the finals. I I don't see that happening, but. We'll see what happens. It should be interesting to see how it plays out the last week and a half. And, you know, it's definitely going to have an impact once we get to the playoffs within a week and a half from now. Yeah, for sure. But with that said, we're going to transition into our last segment of the episode. And that is going to be an NCAA tournament matchup in the Final Four. And it's going to feature the University of North Carolina Tar Heels and the Duke Blue Devils. So this is going to be a huge game. Between two ACC rivals, and I mean, really, when you look at the rivalry just this year, UNC was the team that is that gave uh, Coach K his last home game, gave them a pretty big loss at home, and UNC, despite all the odds of being an eight seed, found a way to play into the final four, and going up against the two-seeded Blue Devils going into this matchup later this week. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you. With the Tar Heels going up against the Blue Devils in the Final Four, how do you see this game playing out when it's all said and done?
0: Listen, it's going to be a great game. Believe it or not, this is the first time these two schools have faced each other in the tournament in their existence. I know that's almost impossible to believe, but it is a fact. Now, the fact that this is a game to make it or break it into the national championship just makes this that much better. I mean, of course, if this was a national championship game, I would actually lose my mind. But, you know, I'll settle for a final four to go to the natty. Um, I think that this is going to be a very physical game. I think that Duke has always been a team defensively to really anchor down, find ways to, to disrupt shots. And then we all know that their bigs are very capable of bringing the balls up, bringing the ball up court, as well as being able to hit mid range and some threes. Uh, I, I, I am concerned with, of course, the chip on their shoulder from the, you know, the, the the game that we had played to end out the regular season. It being Coach K's last year, I'd be naive to say that I don't think that this might be a little too scripted for Coach K to go out on top. The greatest collegiate wow, words are difficult the greatest collegiate coach of all time to go out with a bang and win a national championship. Um, Sounds like a perfect walk off into the sunset kind of moment. But, you know, me being a UNC fan, I'm going to have some faith in my guys. I'm scared and I'm skeptical because we have been taking a little bit more jump shots than I would like to see. Uh, I get enough of that from the Mavericks and sometimes it pisses me off, especially when we keep shooting. But, you know, shots have been going down and that's in big kudos to, to Brady Manick, our transfer from Oklahoma. And then obviously Caleb Love has been doing his thing. You know, some games he's been cold, but he did have that one game in the Sweet 16 against UCLA where he just he just carved it up. There wasn't anything else I could say. I mean, he had 30 points in that game. I mean, Brady Manic went off in the Baylor game before he got ejected. Armando Bacon had 20-20 last game against St. Peter's. So, I mean, every single person on this team has been able to do what they needed to do. And it's just been absolutely incredible. So, I mean, this run has been magical. Leaky Black from playing great defense. Um, R.J. Davis had a couple of games where he went out there and he did his thing, one game having 10 assists, one game having 30 points. Uh, My biggest concern, aside from the jump shots, is depth. Um, We usually run a seven-man rotation at most, and I literally mean at the most because of either foul trouble or just genuine exhaustion. We'll throw in Puff Johnson out there, Cam Johnson's little brother. Uh, for defensive purposes, and maybe the occasional three in the corner, and then of course we have Dontre Styles coming in for Armando Baycott or Brady Manick when they need a rest. Excuse me. Sorry about that allergy to kick in my butt tonight. Um, but if we can find a way to bully Duke in the place in the paint, get them into some foul trouble, and then hit those open shots, we need Caleb Love to be aggressive and attack the basket. We need Brady Manick to hit those shots. And we just need the team to come together to be disruptive. We need to create turnovers. We need to keep the ball away from them. And we need to run in transition. There are so many positive features for this team that I have seen them just get better and better after every single game. And North Carolina has the the personnel to do it. We have the coaching staff to do it. We obviously have the motivation because it is Duke and it is a trip to the national championship. So I think it's going to be a good game. I again, I am very skeptical because Duke has just found ways to really dominate in those clutch moments throughout the tournament, and I feel like that's where North Carolina has struggled against good teams. Um, we are still struggling to inbound the basketball. We are still struggling to combat a, a full court press. So, I mean, you know, if anything, I know Coach K sees the adjustments that they need to make to win. I know that they see the tunnel in front and they see the goal of let's end our coaches collegiate career with a championship and what better way to get to that than beat north carolina uh so we're set for a match for the ages bro i'm not gonna lie to you this may this may go down as one of the most competitive final four matchups in collegiate basketball history just because you don't need a playoff scenario an acc tournament scenario to to know that duke north carolina naturally is one of the greatest rivalries in all of sports you put them now in this setting of a final four to go into the national championship. It, it makes it that much more intense. So I'm looking forward to the game. I'm scared as shit. I got my Tar Heels winning and we got, we, we, I want that rematch. I've been telling Kyle since the tournament started and North Carolina started getting to that stage a little bit more towards the 316. I said, I need a rematch from 2016. I want Nova, but first we got to go through Duke. So Tar Heels, baby all day.
1: This is going to be a very competitive game, like you mentioned. And I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see how UNC adjusts. It's just because when you go up against a team, essentially a Cinderella story with St. Peter's, I'm not saying that I'm going to like disrespect St. Peter's because they had a great run. But if you're looking at UNC's perspective going into, a suite, uh, into an Elite 8 situation, you couldn't have asked for a better matchup just because UNC was able to use their size and their athleticism and essentially just bully St. Peter's pretty much throughout most of the game. And it sets it up for a great matchup against the Blue Devils. Now, the way that I see this game playing out is, I think, like I said, going to be a competitive game. And I think when I look at how this game is going to play out, I think Duke is going to... They're going to look at this as a revenge game simply just because... I think, Kevin, we we could both say this. Coach K vividly remembers how that last home game went for him. And it did not end well. Because after the game took place, Coach K got on a microphone and was talking to the fans at, at Duke's Arena. And he was visibly frustrated by the performance that the players of Duke had against UNC. And I imagine that is going to be something that Coach K is going to use as motivation and fuel going into this matchup against the Tar Heels. And the way that I see this game playing out, I do see the Blue Devils getting revenge against the Tar Heels and moving on to the national championship. I think when you look at UNC, UNC is going to have to slow down three potential players, and I don't think that they're going to be able to. Because when you look at Banchero, Banchero's been solid throughout this entire NCAA tournament run. When you look at guys like Wendell Moore, Wendell Moore has been solid at moments throughout this NCAA tournament, and then I believe their center. If I, I think his name is Mark Williams, if I'm screwing, screwing, if I'm screwing up his name, I apologize, but he's been able to lock down that center position for the Blue Devils throughout this postseason run, and I think that's something that UNC is going to have a difficult time to deal with. Going into this matchup. All in all though. I think this is going to be a great game. You know you have the Tar Heels going up against the Blue Devils. It's just a classic ACC rivalry. That will stand the test of time. But I do think that Coach K's. Coaching experience. Is going to be favorable in this one. And I think it's going to be the edge in this one. But I think when it's all said and done. I think Duke only wins this game by like. Four or five points when it's all said and done. Just because. You know, the, the, these UNC Duke games, they always come down to the wire. They are always gritty matchups. But I think Duke gets revenge in this one and they move on to the national championship. And that's just how I see it.
0: Hey, only time is going to tell. Like I said, um, it's just unfortunate that this game kind of falls on my girlfriend's birthday weekend. Um, got family coming into town on Saturday. So I got to like be friendly and be positive. But at the same time, this game is like legit at like nine o'clock. So I'm kind of hoping like not just the dinner portion will be over. Everyone's going to be a little bit tired. Yeah. i got to watch this game. i, I got to focus. You know what I'm saying? If the national championship was that day, I might be saying, listen, babe, North Carolina been out there a little bit longer than we've been together. They've been alive longer than most of your family. So technically, it's like UNC has been there before all of us. So I can't really say that. <laughs> you know? So You're um, saying there's just priorities excited with the this. Weekend. You're saying there's there priorities. One hundred percent. One thousand percent. And the fact that Kyle said at the beginning, I did not have much faith in this team to go this far. I had I had us losing against Baylor because when you saw the bracket, whether or not we beat Marquette, that next step was the number one seeded Baylor Bears. And that was just not something I said the way we ended the year in the ACC tournament, the way that we were inconsistent throughout the regular season and how we played against ranked opponents outside of Duke in the last game. I didn't really have much faith in us. And I said that it's going to be a big challenge. And genuinely, I I said bluntly, there's not a chance we beat Baylor. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But am I happy as shit that my favorite college team of all time is now in an opportunity to go to another national championship? By the way, their third national championship in six years, that's pretty fucking big. So... I got to ride out with my boys, man. I'm not saying we're going to win. I'm saying I want us to win. I wouldn't be surprised if we lost. But, man, oh, man, a a victory against the Bluke. The Bluke. Wow, I need to go to bed. The Blue Devils of Duke and to knock off Coach K. Beautiful.
1: I'll be honest with you. If UNC wins this game, I think Coach K may think twice about retirement. He ain't going out like that. I wouldn't go out like that. I'm not he, said he, gonna he said he's going to
0: pull Brady. He I'm going to pull up yeah. Brady. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go hang out with my family for like two months. I'm coming back.
1: I, I'm like, I, I'm not taking two back-to-back losses to UNC. I, I'm not letting that happen. That, that's that's not happening on my watch. I'm just saying, if that not were to happen. Problem. Oh, I know. I'm just saying, it might be your problem next year. If he does come back, saying, we're not going out like that. We're, that, we're not letting that happen. But Listen,
0: you got to take little victories, Kyle. If, if. If we win, right? If. if we beat Duke, I say we win the national championship. That would just, there's nobody stopping us. We have beaten number one seeded teams. We have gone out there. We've competed. We have shocked the world. It would be against Kansas or Villanova. And obviously, like I said, I want the Nova rematch because I, I th- think I deserve that. I think we win the national championship. We beat Duke. If we win the Natty, Coach K could come back for another 15 years. It doesn't matter. We halted his farewell tour. And we beat them to get to where he wanted to be, which was a chance to win a national championship, which would be our seventh in franchise history, school history. So once again, another number that surpasses Duke. We already have more national championships than them anyway. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, to your point, if Coach K decides, you know what, one more go at it, okay, cool. What if you win the national championship? We still halted it before that.
1: I don't care. So you would be content with – UNC just beating Duke in this game and losing the national championship. You would be content just simply just because you would stop Coach K. Yes, to but. an
0: extent. If 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 Villanova loses, like if it's Kansas in the national championship, I'll be like, it is what it is. If it's Villanova, I want all the smoke. Oh, okay. I want all. Bro, I, I want it all. Like I'm not even like take it how you want it. Bro, Villanova needs an ass whooping of a lifetime because they need to know, listen, we're not the same team. We may not even be better than the team that lost. But my God, we're here by the grace of God, and we're coming for you.
1: I think UNC would still be pretty happy about sending Coach K off to retirement, if that was the case. I mean,
0: the fact that we would get to an, again, assuming we win, just saying hypothetically, if we yeah. beat them. If we're there, nobody on the earth thought we would get there. Myself again included, I would be satisfied with the fact that we were able to get to a national championship with the team that we have and a first-year head coach in Hubert Davis.
1: Kind of an improbable run when you think about it. Usually, those are the
0: magical ones that last forever, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember <laughs> when I think UConn they they got in um, as an eight seed into the national championship and ended up winning it a couple years ago. But that was the uh, that was the Shabazz Napier group. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I think Bo- I think uh, Boatwright was on that team. Got all the way um, to a national championship and won it as an eight seed, which is kind of impressive. And UNC could be that team. I mean, it would be crazy if UNC were to like go all the way and win a national championship. You, I mean, you wouldn't hear from me for a while. I, I mean, I said I had to. I, I, remember when I was saying, like, have some faith in your team? Like, that was, like, early on. I didn't think that faith would carry them this far, though. So they're kind of exceeding my expectations, but I got Duke in this one just to kind of piss you off, just because I I, I got to be I got to be that guy.
0: And that's I, fine. I gotta, you do what you got to do, Papa. I'm I'm here to support it. I like the toxicity. I like the negativity. I like being the underdog. We've been the underdog all tournament.
1: Why not us? That's true. It's A good way to wrap it up. It's a good way to put it. But
0: yeah, I'm about to like actually knock unconscious right here, so we're gonna have to. Uh, this up. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh my god, I'm tired. Yeah.
1: Well, I shook off some of the rust since I haven't been recording in the last damn near week or so. So, you know, True. we all we all have our little battles, but it was good to be back.
0: Good to be back. Oh, 100%, the, you know, the band back together, we're chilling, we're having a good time, great content day, and then of course, you know, we got big games coming up within the next couple of days, you know, college excluded, you know, we have NBA playoffs like right around the goddamn corner, so why not?
1: Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. But, um, Kev, let's uh, let's finish this up. Let's wrap this up. Yes, sir. So, guys, as
0: always, we've been saying it forever. You already know the drill. Thank you so much for the support, whether it's on the audio platforms, whether it's supporting with the videos. If you guys aren't familiar with this, please drop a like, a follow, a subscribe, however it is that YouTube or the audio platforms work. Um, Any support is just greatly appreciated. But, again, without you guys, we would not be able to do this. So... Just very much appreciated. Thank you for being patient with us. And uh, we're going to be providing a lot more content as the days go by. We promise you that.
1: Yes, sir. And uh, with that said, you guys, uh, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll see you guys later.
0: Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself?
1: Hey, I'm Pastor Julie,
0: and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectroCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast.
1: ElectroCast.
0: ElectroCast. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour.